Hello and welcome to the Organist Encores with me, Robert Hope Jones, a new regular presenter on the show, picking up the mic following Nigel Ogden's retirement from this slot. Damon has asked me to introduce myself a little and share my musical journey, so forgive me if this episode is a little dialogue heavy. Some listeners may remember me from my time on the UK organ scene during the late 80s and 90s when I was an active member of the Cinema Organ Society and, as it happens, a professional organ builder. No doubt my name will be familiar to the historians among you, what with me having been named after the father of the theatre organ, who is indeed a distant relative. My father didn't... uh, tell me about this family connection, and I guess I must have been around age 10 when I discovered in a cupboard a copy of Vestal Press's book, The Wurlitzer Hope Jones Unit Orchestra. Seeing my surname on the cover, I opened it up to find the ghostly-looking image of the Robert Hope Jones sat at a key desk. I felt shivers up and down my spine and went straight to my dad to ask about the man with the same name as me. This revelation ignited and inspired an obsessive quest for finding books covering the man's life and work. It was Liverpool's well-stocked central library in my hometown that supplied many answers. But what about the music? My father was very active on the cinema organ scene during World War II, hanging out with the big names of the day in London and other parts of the country. So it's of little surprise that the sound of the theatre organ was alive in our home. In fact, we had a two-manual Compton Theatre Electron in the living room. My introduction to live theatre organ, though, came just months before I was born. Indulge me for a moment. It's 1970, my mother's still carrying me during pregnancy. There we are in the front row of the balcony of the Odeon Cinema in Manchester. My father has taken the family to hear one of his old wartime friends play the Wurlitzer in concert. The house lights go down, there's hush in the room and suddenly that wonderful instrument roars to life. From the comfort and, some might say, protection of my mother's womb, to me it probably sounded like this. To my eldest sister, who was happily miming along to the organist's actions, it sounded like this. Reginald Porter-Brown there, not at the Odium Manchester Wurlitzer, but at the magnificent Southampton Guildhall dual-purpose Compton, and a snippet of his classic storm scene. My father secretively recorded that 1970 concert. The tape no longer exists, but I remember listening to it and Reg's arrangement of the storm scene. My mother described that particular moment in the concert as electrifying. Back home, there were quite a few theatre organ recordings in my dad's collection, mostly British organists from the heyday of the broadcasting era. 
Sprinkled amongst them were one or two classic George Wright albums, but it was an album cover that first enticed me to start listening to the theatre organ. There it was, luring me, the state Kilburn Wurlitzer console, filling the entire cover. The actual organ on that album's recording was completely unrelated, but at that tender age, who cared? I was hooked. taken from a UK release of Leon Berry's At the Giant Wurlitzer Pipe Organ, playing the Chicago Hub Rink Wurlitzer. A raw sound for sure, but a perfect match for Leon's style. Being so young at the time, I couldn't understand how one man could control all those sounds with just two hands and two feet. Pipes, tambourines, castanets, glockenspiels, xylophones, and I just couldn't figure it out how it was possible. I'd sit at our home organ miming along, scratching my head in bewilderment. Let's fast forward to a 15-year-old me as a significant musical milestone occurred. 
Once again, rummaging in cupboards at home, I came across a newspaper cutting from the Liverpool Echo covering the story about a blind organist called Billy Ellis. He was resident organist at the city's top-ranked bingo club in the ex-Gomon Cinema Dingle, a rare situation in any UK town back then. Billy, once a well-known jazz organist and leader of a local musical trio, was photographed at the console in his usual immaculate attire, a black tuxedo and dark aviator glasses. He was quoted as saying, Compared to playing electronic organs, playing the two-manual six-rank Wurlitzer is like driving a Rolls-Royce. It wasn't long before I contacted the manager of the club and went along with my father to meet Billy. For the next few years, I'd find myself hanging out at the Dingle on most Fridays when he would play two or three short sessions of entertaining music. I'd stand next to him as he effortlessly made his way round the console without the benefit of sight. His organ spot over, we'd make a five-metre walk off the low stage and back down to the bar under the proscenium arch where his usual tipple was always on the go. Let's listen to the instrument in its current home in the Theatre Organ Heritage Centre in Peel Green. Thank you. 
That was Howard Beaumont in a recent recording playing Grasshopper's Dance, a rather different sound to the one that it had when it was still in the Gaumont. It wasn't long before Mark Williams, later an organist at Blackpool Tower, joined those sessions with Billy and myself, which often went long after closing hours. Indelible memories for sure. Eventually, we persuaded management to let us in on weekends, and I'd find myself up in the chambers, which was surely the first green shoots of a looming career.
That was Christopher Durnley playing Edward Elgar's Nimrod on the Grand Willis organ in St George's Hall, Liverpool. Hmm, how do I segue into that? Well, at age 16, my school's career officer, who had a relative in the city's Rushworth and Draper organ works, as did I, as it happens, understood my unusual career leanings and managed to wangle me a one-day-per-week school work placement in Liverpool's Henry Willis Organ Works. During the next four months or so, I gained my first real-world experience in a profession that was eager to embrace me. On my first day, I was made chief tea maker, and it was a sort of baptism by fire as I dipped my feet into the trade. One of the highlights was visiting St George's Hall to hold keys while the tuner tuned the organ. I can still remember walking across the roof of the swell box, below our feet, a large walkboard of locked-up swell shutters. So where to next? Well, I gained some valuable experience at Willis, especially in the pipe shop where I learned the process of how organ pipes went from metal ingots to finished products. I suspect this aspect of organ building was where my heart was, but uh, new shiny horizons way down south of Liverpool beckoned me.
Lou Williams there on the ex-Trocadero Wurlitzer in the Southbank University, London, playing Opus One and bringing me nicely to the next milestone. The next mentor in my musical journey came in the form of renowned organ builder and theatre organ historian Dave Paulin, who, after I contacted him in his capacity as COS membership secretary, he invited me down to the COS's 1988 summer workshop. Lou Williams was one of the headlining artists at the workshop and gave a superb concert on the South Bank organ. I was rather dazzled by the whole experience, but I met what was to become the nuclei of my future theatre organ community, mentors and many friends who would remain dear to me to this day. Too many to mention, they all in some way affected my still developing appreciation for theatre organ. In 1989, I left home for good, moving to Aylesbury to join Dave Paulin's organ building company. During that five and a half year association, I gained technical knowledge in both classical and theatrical organ fields. Dave was an early pioneer in theatre organ preservation. He was instrumental in saving the 319 Wurlitz from the Odeon Cinema in Newcastle. Before we move on, let's hear that instrument after Dave removed it to its new home in the Kitchen Brothers car showroom in Dis, Norfolk. Here's Robin Richmond by a waterfall.
Ah, Robin Richmond there pulling out some of the wonderful sounds still to be had in that instrument in its second home. During my time down south, my association with the COS grew and I was appointed as Assistant Technical Officer. In 1995, an offer came from the COS to oversee installation of its northern Wurlitzer, which was completed and opened in early 1996. On the tail of that, John Smallwood asked me to come help finish off the installation of his organ, the ex-Woolwich Wurlitzer, into a small hall in Tawin, Wales. Rewinding back a bit though, my friendship with David Shepherd grew over the years, as did my involvement with his studio organ. On many a weekend, I'd find myself at his Lincolnshire home in Holbeach, lending a hand with his ever-evolving studio organ. Come 1995, I entered what was perhaps the most satisfying period in my short-lived career as an organ builder when he asked me to work full-time on the instrument to speed things up. Holbeach became my home for about a year, while day and night, I carried out major restoration and expansion work on the instrument. Let's hear the symbiotic combination of David playing his beloved four-manual 22-rank, mostly Compton, studio organ in Dolby House. <laughs> Thank you. 
1996, I was invited over to the US's West Coast by preeminent organ restorers Edward Millington Stout III and Dick Taylor to work with them for three months with the prospect of staying on. With them, I underwent a complete rewiring of my understanding of what restoration was, where, working with clients with deep pockets, only museum quality would do. Immersed in West Coast organ heaven, I was tempted to stay, but I didn't. I was privileged to help restore the E.M. Skinner organ in the Legion of Honour, as well as the enviable position of being on regular organs standby duty during the Paramount Oakland's silent movie season when Jim Riggs played. Down the road from where Ed lived was the Yeo Pizza Joint, the world's first pizza restaurant equipped with an organ. As well as eating there, we also carried out restoration work on the instrument just before it was destroyed by a fire. Let's listen to Jim Riggs play that organ, recorded during a 2001 meeting of the NorCal TOS. Thank you. 
Jim Riggs with a very laid-back, lolloping-styled Route 66, bringing my musical journey's route almost to an end. I suspect that the bass distortion at the end of that track was caused by the enormously scaled tibia basses that once belonged to the 1917 432 Wurlitzer in the California Theatre, San Francisco. Many thanks to Matthias Bombal who rescued that recording as part of an ongoing mammoth project to digitise such historical recordings and make them available on the SoundCloud website. These days I'm a Hong Kong-based journalist and multimedia producer, a far cry from where my rich musical journey began. In my spare time I seem to have substituted organ building for mountain bike trail building. Whichever unexpected places your musical route might have taken you to, we are lucky in this age of tech that we can share in the joy of these beloved instruments no matter where we live and I'm looking forward to spending this time with you each month doing just that. Until next time, this is Robert Hope Jones signing off for The Organist on Cause. Music